We are in a sermon series going through the book of Acts together, and I love going through this. We are in Acts chapter 4. We're going to start off in Acts chapter 4, so if you've got your Bibles, your version app, whatever that looks like for you, your Bible on your phone, uh, go ahead and pull that out. We, we just finished chapter 3, where Peter and John see a, a lame beggar, and the guy has his hand out looking for a handout, and they instead put their hand out to give him a hand up and he gets healed and starts leaping and jumping and sashaying and doing the hammer time and they are they're so excited it starts a scene where uh, this formerly lame beggar is is dancing and Peter sees an opportunity picks up the mic and begins to to preach and we pick it up in chapter four if you wouldn't mind I know you've been standing if you'd stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word Acts chapter 4, we're going to read verse 1 through 22. It says this, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. This is what they asked. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people... If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. (laughs) And he drops the mic. When, keeps on, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the the man who had been healed standing there with them, they could say they had nothing to say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed 
was over 40 years old. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I pray that today we would gain a healthy respect of the power of the name of Jesus in our midst and in our day. God, I pray that we wouldn't leave this place the same. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So this, uh, it, I mean, it gets, it gets pretty heated. Um, they, they, they heal a lame beggar. He's now doing the hammer time and he is dancing and sashaying and he draws a crowd and they preach and they just throw them um, into jail. It says this in verse two, they were greatly disturbed. That means they were pretty ticked off, right? Um, because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming that Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. And so it says they laid hands, it might say in your Bible, or they seized Peter and John. It wasn't like they laid hands on them and prayed. They, they grabbed them forcefully. And because it was evening, they just put them in jail and said, we'll deal with you in the morning. Because I don't know if you've realized this, but whenever God shows up and begins to work, the enemy always shows up to steal, kill, and destroy. And you've seen this in your own life. God does a work in you. Maybe he heals a, a relationship, heals your marriage, brings salvation or freedom or healing, or you get baptized and all of a sudden Monday morning comes around and all of a sudden you're under attack. It's like what in the world happened, right? Because whenever God does a work, the enemy loves to steal, kill, and to destroy and to take the seed that's been planted. And, and the thing is, is that... Um, that I think is very interesting in here is that Satan does not always use the demonic or unbelievers. Sometimes he uses religious people. <laughs> sometimes he just, he doesn't need to use pagans and sometimes he just uses religious people because religious people don't like it when you mess up the status quo, when you move their cheese, Right? Religious people kind of want to have it all figured out. And it's real easy to see religion in other people, isn't it? I mean, it is so annoying, right? Can we agree? But, but it's very difficult to see the religious spirit in, in me, in, in you. What I find is that if you want to flush out religion in you, start walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, you just realize when God starts moving in you, you start realizing Jesus is really kind of grating on your flesh, your religion, right? What I find is that the Holy Spirit will always comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. That's what he does. That's always what he does, right? When, if, if you're afflicted, he will comfort you. And if you're comfortable, he'll afflict you. It's what the Holy Spirit has always done in my life. He has been my comforter and he has also afflicted me when I need to be getting a little kick in the pants. And in verse four, it continues. It says, but many who heard the message believed, and so the number of men who, grew, who believed grew to about 5,000 people. Just imagine this whole scenario. Peter and John are preaching. They throw out this claim, and there thousands of, of people come to Jesus, faith in Christ. I imagine them literally being handcuffed, getting put into the back of a paddy wagon. I don't know what a paddy wagon is, but it sounds like something that, that would happen. And so they're put in the back of the paddy wagon. And as they're being put in, they're like, give your life to Jesus, get baptized and be saved. And thousands of people, as they're being hauled off to jail, come to faith in Christ. What I find is sometimes we look at a crowd of people and we get overwhelmed by the crowd, but how we reach a crowd is by helping an individual. And so they pray for a lame beggar who everyone ignores and everyone has walked by for years, if not decades. 
and they help one guy and this one healing spurs on thousands of people to get saved. How you reach your crowd is by helping a person. Why? Because one changed life will convince a family. One changed life will convince a community. One changed life will convince a crowd. Look, it's the whole reason why I love doing baptisms here in service. Why? Because one person's changed life starts to convince the rest of the family to say, there's something going on here. There's something changing. It's because when you see what God is doing in somebody else's life, it starts to spark, maybe God wants to do something in my life. Maybe he's up to something in me too. He continues in verse 5, and it says this. The next day, so morning comes, they spent the night in prison. The elders and the teachers of the law all met in Jerusalem, and these were like all the uppity-ups, all the peeps, right? Annas, high priest was there, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, the others of the priest's high, fa- high priest family. I need you to understand this. All these names, all these people probably mean nothing to you other than the fact that this is the very same council that condemned Jesus to die just a few months ago. So I just want you to understand, like, this is a pretty high stakes meeting. Right? I mean, Peter and John know that the decision that they come to actually could have dire consequences on them personally. Why? Because their Savior was actually condemned to death by these very same people, and they don't seem to really care for Peter and John as well. So this is a pretty big deal. They're going into some, uh, a pretty severe meeting with, with some people who do not like them, and uh, there's a lot of gravity to their decision. And so they ask Peter and John, and apparently we learn later that the formerly lame beggar is just standing there as well. They don't really, he doesn't talk much. He's just kind of, I don't know, he's just doing the running man. He's just excited, and Peter and John are there, and they ask this question in verse 7. By what power or what name did you do this? Notice that they don't even call it a miracle. They're just like, we refuse to acknowledge what happened here. We're just going to say, by what power or name did you do this? To which the lame beggar is like, what, this? Right? He's just so excited, right? He's like, he's like I, I haven't been able to walk since birth. And now I'm jumping and sashaying and doing all these things. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that. What, by what name or what power did you do that? And it's this reality that sometimes what is obvious to you needs to be explained to others. And I think, in other words, really, I mean, when God moves in your life, there are times where you need to give God credit in front of people who don't necessarily believe. I think sometimes, even in churches, we're like, bless God, God did this, God did that, and, and we're silent outside of uh, the, the, the group of believers. When people say things like, what's different about you? You seem to actually like being married and you love your kids and why do you go to church instead of sleep in and all of these questions um maybe the answer should be oh i met jesus like he's 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 changed me maybe the answer of why you are such a nice guy is not because you're really a nice guy because you're really not it's only through jesus Maybe you need to give God a little more credit than what maybe you think, oh, I just, yeah, I try real hard. I'm, go to church. Right? Maybe it's actually, yeah, I'm not a really a nice guy, but Jesus. And I bet Peter was remembering these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Luke chapter 12. This is the words of Jesus 
before he passed, before he died, before he rose, all of these things, he says to Peter and to John and to the other disciples, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So I imagine Peter's sitting there, John's there, the running man is there, and they're standing in front of these very intimidating people, probably in nice robes. And they ask this question, by what name did you do this? I would probably take a very deep breath, say a prayer, and say, Jesus, remember when you said that you'd help me in these situations when I was brought before rulers and authorities, you'd give me the words to speak. I kind of need that right now. I don't have time for a prayer meeting. I don't have time for three songs of worship to get in the mood of the Holy Spirit arriving. I need you right stinking now. Do you realize that God wants to fill you when you need him? We get to kind of get into this place, even as Christians, like, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit shows up in a worship service, in a prayer meeting, during fasting and prayer, and the reality is that God wants to show up when you need him the most. So maybe if you're in a place where you're like, oh, the wheels are coming off the bus and everything seems like it's going to crap and you're like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do, that's the time. Like that's the time when when the Holy Spirit wants to fill you and give you the words to speak and give you direction in the midst of chaos. And this is what happens in Peter. I mean, he literally takes a deep breath. Okay, and this is what he says. He goes up and he's like, "Um." then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. He's just like, give me the words to speak. And he starts, he starts getting filled. Do you realize that there are, um, there are situations that, that sometimes we're placed in that draw out the gift of God in you? I've talked about this even with Pastor Tom. We've, we've discussed about this, this reality that when we're sometimes put into positions or into places or into situations that actually will draw out the gift of God in us. You know, sometimes even as Christians, we'll be in church services and we'll be like, Lord, I I pray that you would just give me the gift of healing. I just want you to understand, you would not know if you had the gift of healing until you start asking if you can pray for people. So you can pray all day in a church service. God, I just want, I want those magic hands. God, I pray that you would do something. I'm just telling you, you'll never know that you have it until you start saying, hey, you look sick. Can I pray for you? Do you know that you never know if you have the gift of hospitality until you start inviting people over to your house? God, I pray, I just, I would like to be more hospitable. It might start with, hey, what are you doing for lunch today? Just going to throw it out there. Sometimes you need to put yourself into situations, and sometimes they're not fun situations, but they're situations that will stretch you. Why? Because on the other side of it is when the Holy Spirit is drawn out of you in that moment. This is what's happening to Peter right now. Do you realize that you don't know if you have the gift of faith until you've been put in a situation where your trust is tested? Realize that you don't know if you have the the gift of teaching unless you sign up to lead a life group. God, I pray you just give me the gift of teaching. I I pray you just work that in me. God's saying, oh, I actually need you to step out so that it can be pulled out of you. And this is the thing that God was revealing to me even this week. It's this, that God can only strengthen what you choose to exercise. God can only strengthen what you choose to exercise. And so Peter and John are in this moment of, an, oh no, what are we going to do? They're put into a situation that's drawing out the gift of God in them. 
and they're put into a place where it's like, okay, I, I need, I'm going to step out and really need the Holy Spirit to fill me in this moment. Church, stop praying for tasks that you can handle on your own power and start praying for power so that you can handle the tasks that are put in front of you. Because you're called to live outside of yourself. You're called to live not just a safe life, but a spirit-filled life, which means sometimes you have to go on the edge of yourself and say, Jesus, you're going to have to catch me. Why? Because I don't know what to say in this moment. I desperately need you right now. You're going to have to show up. When was the last time you've put yourself in a position where you are drawing out the gift of God in you? I would encourage you to do it. Verse 9, he continues. He says, if we're being called, I love how he says this. If, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. In other words, he's like, if we're putting, put on trial here for healing a lame dude, then please allow me to tell you how that happened. I, I, I long for the church of Jesus Christ to be put on trial because they just healed somebody and they have to explain it. I long for this situation to happen. Verse 10, he says, then know this and all you people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Can I just tell you, church, and remind you this morning, there is something about that name. I've had that like old song in my head all week. There's just something about that name. You, you know that song? I think it's the, who, what, who sings that? Is it the Gaithers? Thank you. It's the Gaithers. I, this, there is something about that, that name. And they're, in essence, they're like, make no mistake. Hear ye, hear ye. It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the only reason why this dude is doing the hammer time way too much. It's the only reason. And then Peter doubles down and he makes one of the most exclusive claims that you can make. In a very precarious situation in verse 12, read it and reckon it with yourself. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There is something about that name. And this is the claim that gets Peter and John in trouble. And this is the very same claim that will get you in trouble today. That sentence. Why? Because we live in a, very, a time very much, it, we're, we're not living in a new time, okay, in our cancel culture age. We're not living in a new time. It's the, very similar to the time that they lived in. They live in a very pluralistic culture, which essentially means when it comes to religion especially, there are many paths to God. There are many ways to heaven. And who am I to say that there's, there's one way and one, one way and, and the other ways are, are not ways? Essentially, I mean, if you think about it, in our culture today, um, the worst thing that you can say is that one way is right and all the others are wrong. Go ahead and try it. See how that works on Facebook. Unless you've just cultured all of your friends to be people just like you, I guarantee you, you might have a little bit of, I don't know, you might start a fire on Facebook. Just see how you would, you know it. It's the worst thing you can say in our culture right now is that is essentially what, what Peter said in verse 12. 
And yet Jesus and his disciples made this ridiculously exclusive, narrow-minded claim. He said it many, 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 many times. Have you ever noticed the resistance that you get when you say the name of Jesus? (laughs) I mean, it can really ruin Thanksgiving, can it? You start talking politics or Jesus, and it's like, Depends on your family, but I guarantee you, you've got people in your family that don't necessarily want to hear the name of Jesus. The funny thing to me is that you could talk about a whole lot of spiritual stuff, and everybody's like, you could talk about karma, you could talk about spirituality, you could talk about crystals and higher, God, higher power and ghosts. And, and I had a lady at Staples just a few months ago be like, you know, happy solstice. Positive vibes coming your way. And I was like, what? I guarantee you nobody's like, how dare her kill me, happy solstice. Right? I was like, happy soul sister to you too. I have no idea. I don't even know what you're talking about, right? Because it's fine. It's fine to talk about all kinds of spirituality. It's fine to say uh, Hindu, Buddhism, all these types of things. But there's something about that name. It will divide a room or unite a room. There is something about that name. In the Bible, I was writing down things. The name of Jesus is the name above every name. In his name, the sick are healed. Demons flee in his name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. Whatever you ask in his name, he will do. He says, where two or more are gathered in his name, there he is among them. The Holy Spirit is sent in his name. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. I mean, I could just keep going on and on and on. Here's the point. Jesus leaves us no room to come to the conclusion that he is just one of many ways to God. He really doesn't, and, and don't get mad at me. I'm just reading what the Bible says. C.S. Lewis, who's a guy much smarter than me, this is what he said. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says that he's a poached egg. <laughs> That's weird. Or else... He would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. I mean, my point is this, like, if someone wants to believe that there are many roads to heaven or that you can take all the best of all the faiths and put them into a blender and make a spiritual smoothie, that's fine. But my point is this, please don't claim that as being in the Bible. There's no way for that. And as bold as that is for me to say that to some of you today, think about what it meant for Peter to have to say that. For the, maybe even for the first time in front of this crowd of people. Look how they respond in verse 13. I mean, he's off the charts courageous or crazy. 
depending on how you look at them. It says, verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. He's like, how could these unschooled men make such an impact? How could these ordinary men dare to speak so freely? What is their secret? And I love the religious leaders come to this amazing one simple conclusion, and it's this. These men had been with Jesus. I love that conclusion. I mean, they're simply just these guys are convinced that Jesus said who that he is who he said that he was. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit with boldness. And you can just tell these men had been with Jesus. And I find it interesting that that's their conclusion because if you think of it, like everybody knew that they had been around Jesus. Like Peter and John, that, that was all part of their claims. Like nobody was like, oh, I had no idea that these people were around Jesus. But isn't there a difference? There is a, there's a difference between being around Jesus and being with Jesus. It's the, it's, there's a major difference between coming to church and being with Jesus. <laughs> May that be the conclusion that people come to with you. Not that you go to church, please but that you've been with Jesus. Have you been with Jesus? Because when you've been with Jesus, you're not the same. When you've been with Jesus, you, you act different, you talk different, you smile different. Maybe you smile and you never did. You, you, know, you, you look different. People take notice that you've been with Jesus. He continues in verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Get this, this formerly lame beggar preached the best sermon that day and he didn't even have to speak, right? All he had to do was stand there and maybe doing the running man. That's all he had to do. He just stood there and he spoke the best sermon. I would even say it rivaled Peter's sermon and you're like, that sounds like heresy. No, I think it was actually the very thing that convinced them. Why? Because the best defense of the truth of Christianity is a changed life. Always, every day, hands down. You can, you know, people all the time, please don't tell me, show me. Please, yeah, I hear you talking about Jesus and about all these things and he's done all this and he loves you and he's this and let me show you the scripture and the verse. No, show me. Show me. This, this, this lame, formerly lame beggar uh, preached the best sermon. Why? Because he was a changed life and everyone knew it and they couldn't deny it. And they even say it. Verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? They're sitting there like, what are we going to do? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they've performed this notable sign, and we can't deny it. You seen the guy? I mean, he's just. The sad part is, is that they, they, they couldn't deny the work of God, so they're like, we just need to shut her down. Shut her down. Verse 17. But to stop this from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Just don't have them say the name Jesus. Don't say it. Don't say it. And then they called them in again and commanded them. All right, listen. Do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. 
These unbelievers recognize that there is something about that name. And this has been the sad thing that I've been processing as I've just been reading this scripture all week is that church, and I mean this in as much love that I can muster for you. Sometimes I wonder if these unbelieving judges had more faith in the name of the power and the name of Jesus Christ than many people in church do today. There's just something about that name. And not that it just derails a conversation at Thanksgiving, but there is power to save. There is power to heal in the name of Jesus. There's something about that name. And even though they don't believe it, they just know there is something about that name. Can you just imagine Peter and John, they're just like, just stop saying the name. Okay, guys, we're, we're not going to arrest you. We're going to let you go. But just don't say the name of Jesus anymore. Go ahead and pray, but just don't use that name. Just use God and higher power and things like that. People love that. That's cool. You could just say those words. Just, you know, you could say even Father. That's okay, but just don't say the name of Jesus. Be spiritual. We want you to. Practice Reiki. Practice tarot cards, Buddhism. Do all horoscopes. Be spiritual. Please, that's cool and that's in, but please just don't say the name of Jesus. Just don't say that name because there's something about that name. And it's ruining everything. It's turning our worlds upside down and the religious are upset because everyone's cheese is being moved and they have no more control. And I love Peter and John's response in verse 19. They say, which is right to you, holy religious people? Which is right in your eyes? To listen to you or listen to God? You be the judges, judges. You tell me. Isn't that the quandary that we find ourselves in? All, all of us, every single one of us, right? Am I going to please God or man? Is the voice of my neighbor louder than the voice of God in my life? Who am I living my life to please? Because we all want people to like us. I want you to like me. And some of you are like, well, I don't even care if people like me. Then people probably don't like you. <laughs> they don't. You'd be like, I'm fine with it. Ren, okay, then that's great. Then you go be you, right? I mean, good, but come on. We don't want to be accepted. We don't want people to like us. We want people to accept us. I don't want to feel marginalized. I don't want, even for being a Christian. And so sometimes if I got to not say that word, that name, that... See, there's nothing inherently wrong with that desire to feel accepted unless it causes you to sell out. Unless it causes you to just zip it. We see this even and when Jesus is teaching. In John chapter 12, there are people who would not openly acknowledge their faith because they were afraid of social pressures. It says this in John 12, 43, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. That's why they didn't, because they loved human praise more than praise from God. Listen, the fear of God can make you courageous, but the fear of man will make you a coward. Let me say that again so you can be offended. The fear of God will make you courageous, and the fear of man will make you a coward. There is something about that name. Why don't you stand with me?
Master, Savior, Jesus. There's just something about that name. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> it is an old song. Kingdoms will all pass away. There's just something about that name. Don't ever forget that. Please don't allow the unbelievers around you to have more faith in the power of the name of Jesus than you do as a believer. You know, there's this one word today that we've used, especially over 2020 and the ridiculousness that we're living in right now. We, we say this word cancel culture, right? And I, and I hear you and I, um, you know, people get all up in arms about, uh, that's my up in arms, you get all up in arms about uh, Facebook, you know, you know, taking off your, your post and putting little X, X marks over it and removing people and um, I just want you to understand, this is not new. This is not new. Um, believing in Jesus has always had social consequences. Um, and what I would say is that um, don't give Facebook more credit than it deserves. And, and, and our, 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 our up in arms about Facebook removing posts from people or conservatives or Christians, um, mm, I, I often wonder if maybe we've traded in real relationships with real people for a sanitized, filtered version of ourselves ranting on a digital platform. And I would say, it never stopped Peter and John in the face of death, and it shouldn't really stop you. So if you're holding and waiting for Facebook to be the avenue that's going to win the world to Jesus, I'm just telling you, it hasn't worked yet. Probably not going to happen. Well, I was waiting for Facebook. Maybe Facebook's going to get saved. No, probably not. Probably not. I don't think Facebook gets saved. But uh, when the people of God rise up in the power of God and in the name of Jesus, then uh, things begin to shift in our culture. And I can't help but think of this Peter, this same guy who just a few weeks earlier lied to a little slave girl denying that he even knew the name of Jesus. Why? Because of social pressures and social consequences. And now he stands in such boldness in front of the same judges that put Jesus to death and what has changed. He is the same ordinary man, but now filled with the Spirit of God. And what shifts in you is that now the fear of God outweighs the fear of man. <laughs> Essentially, he gets a case of, I can't help myself. He says in verse 20, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen or what we've heard. In other words, he's like, I know that I know that I know what I've seen and what I've heard. I have been with Jesus and he has filled me with his Holy Spirit. And this formerly, just as this formerly lame beggar can't stop doing the hammer time, I cannot stop talking about Jesus. So as impressive as all of you are, I just need you to know I'm more impressed with Jesus as serious and, and man, I mean, you guys are very, very, very impressive, especially you, sir, with the, with the, with the, with the wearing nice robes. I just said, you know, I'm more impressed with Jesus. Church, put yourself in situations that draw out the gift of God in you because God can only strengthen what you choose to exercise. Know that he wants to fill you when you need him the most 
And it doesn't come by accident. And it doesn't come by your own self-effort. And it doesn't come with going to church. It comes through being with Jesus. There's something about that name. And so, Lord, as we, as we worship here in this last song today, God, I pray that maybe for some of us in here, we're, we're struggling with that reality that there is something about that name and we're fine with being spiritual, but we've never taken that step of just saying, I am choosing to say the name of Jesus, that he is my Lord and my Savior. And I don't know what that looks like and I'm wicked scared about it. And I know that there's gonna be social consequences to it, but Jesus, if any of this is true, then I desperately want it in my own life. If I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, that salvation is found in him, then I, I'm sick of pushing it away and I want it. So if that's where you're at right now, just between you and the Lord right now, it is not between you and the person next to you or the you and the person in front of you. I prayed this prayer when I was going into ninth grade and just came to this place where I was like, if this is true, then I want it. I just don't know how to receive it. And someone led me in a prayer just like this, and I just encourage you to just pray this with me from your heart. <laughs> and we're gonna start with that name that is above every name, Jesus. Say it with me, Jesus. I realize that I'm a sinner. Say it with me. And I know that I need a savior. And your word says that there is no other name under heaven that men can be saved. And if that's true, I want it. And so I receive you, Jesus, and make you Lord and Savior of my life. I pray you would change me, mold me, and make me. And I repent of my sin today. And I ask that you would forgive me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. And so Lord Jesus, I pray for those that have made that decision today. I pray God that you would begin that work of sanctification in their life. God, I pray that you would begin that work of just peeling off all of those things that are not of you and that they would begin to walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that it is available, that you, that you made a way where there was no way. And Lord, as we lift you up, I pray around this place that the name of Jesus would be in our, in our lips. The name of Jesus would be in our mouths. The name of Jesus would be lifted high. The name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so God, we lift you up. We lift you up high in this place. We proclaim that you are who you say that you are and that you fill us when we need you the most. And so Lord, I pray for a great outpouring of your Holy Spirit not just for a church service, but to go pray for the sick, to go, to, go, to go be who you've called us to be. Draw it out of us in Jesus' name. Let's worship him today.